Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. Happy July, guys. I hope you had a good 4th of July. I hope my Canadian uh, listeners had a good Canada Day. And uh, it was different. I don't know about you, but we didn't have fireworks, at least not official ones where I live. And it was kind of, I was going to join some friends and it was like, well, what do we do? Like, what does the 4th of July look like this year? So it's been a, it's been a strange time. I'm recording this on July 3rd. So I just got off the phone with some friends trying to figure out what we're going to do tomorrow to make it feel like uh, the 4th of July, which is actually my favorite holiday. So it's kind of weird. As a reminder, all throughout the month of July, I'm doing a rate, review, and subscribe contest for the podcast. This is specifically to iTunes. Go down to the bottom of the list of my shows, and you can rate and review and subscribe down there. And if you give me a five-star rating and a review during the month of July, I will pull one of your names. Doesn't It's not going to be based on the quality of the review. It's going to be based on a random pulling of those reviews, and I'm going to give a $200 gift certificate out to, a a Visa gift card to that person. As always, let me help you. So you've got in the, a couple of things. In the show notes, you've got a a URL for the free webinars that I'm doing throughout July. July is all about LinkedIn, and they are, again, completely free. And you can see the sign-up URL for those. Um, As always, I want to be your career coach, so reach out to me and let's schedule a 45-minute consult and we'll talk about what it would look like if I worked one-on-one with you and how I can support you in that way. Today we're talking about what are you lacking as a job candidate. So this is specific to what HR managers are seeing and what they are most concerned about in the candidates that they are seeing. And this is based on a survey that was done by Lee Hecht Harrison a few years ago. And the particular prompt that was given is, please rate how detrimental you believe each of the following issues is to a candidate's chances of being selected for an interview. And my goal with this is not only to tell you about these things that the HR managers were was seeing, but what you could do about that and how you can, you know, what the workaround could be for you around that. So the first one, the one, and this was all on a scale of, of 10.0, so on you know 1 to 10 kind of scale. So on a 9.0 out of 10, they said lack of job-related skills was number one. So again, this is HR managers in this survey saying, this is the biggest detriment that I see in candidates. And all of these things are specific in being selected for an interview. So we're not talking about anything that the candidate might do wrong in the interview. This is to get to the interview. So lack of job-related skills was a 9.0, and I'm going to group it together with the next one, which is lack of required technical skills or technical experience, which is an 8.7. So here we have this lack of the skills that are required. So what's the workaround here? I think there's two things to talk about, and one is you have the skills, but they're not, they're not adequately or appropriately expressed on your resume. 
And the other situation is you don't have the skill. So with the first situation where you have the skills, it's so important that you comb through the job descriptions of the positions that you're applying for and that you are putting those keywords as they are written in the job description into your resume. And that is often in a section at the top called, you know, areas of expertise. It can also be embedded into the job that you did that skill. And these are typically skill sets like certain, um, oh, certain processes, um, certain business processes. It could be technical skills. It's those kinds of kind of hard skills as opposed to the words that are kind of throwaway words that no recruiter wants to see in a resume, like hardworking, team player, you know, those are just your opinion of yourself. So those skills are so important because the applicant tracking system reviews your resume before the human gets to see it. The applicant tracking system, which is almost every company out there with the exception of some mom and pops, all have an ATS. And the ATS scores your resume, your application materials, based on the criteria that was put into the system for that particular job. And if you score high enough, then you show up as a top candidate that the employer can then take a closer look at and decide who to bring in for the interview. If you don't score high enough, the interviewer will never see that you were even a candidate, right? So make sure if you have these skills as they are expressed in the job description that you are uh, expressly putting them in your resume. The ATS cannot infer anything. So if you don't have those skills, what do you do about that? The first thing that I, I like to talk about is it really depends on how important that skill is relative to the job description. I'm kind of a fan right now of saying if you don't have pretty much everything they're looking for in the job description, you might want to pass that one by and go on to another one because the competition is so fierce right now. So if you don't have something, it's really important in, if you're trying to decide whether to apply or not, where does that skill show up? If it's the first skill listed or if it's listed under requirements as opposed to preferred qualifications, it's probably really important. If it's at the bottom or it's listed as a preferred qualification, then you've got a little bit more wiggle room. So that really is a matter of you looking at the job description and really objectively deciding, does this seem to be something that is so important to the job that it's kind of a deal breaker, or do we think I might be able to get around, uh, get around that? So that was the first and the second one, lack of job-related skills, lack of required technical skills and experience. Now, the, set, the next one is uh, spelling and or grammatical errors on application materials. This one, they gave it an 8.5. I give it a 10.0. Huge deal for me, and it has been the entire time that I was hiring people and, and working in a managerial role in higher education. Here's the thing. I'm obviously a huge fan of hiring a credentialed, experienced resume writer to write your resume, your LinkedIn profile, and your cover letter for you, and making sure that that is an error-free document. And not just error-free in terms of no spelling errors or grammatical errors, but I'm also a stickler on consistency. So if you start out with a certain format at the top of your resume, I'm looking to see if that same format carried throughout the resume. Because if you didn't, then that tells me something perhaps about your ability to be consistent and have an eye or attention to detail in the job. So I'm going to make some assumptions that aren't very favorable to you 
if I see inconsistencies. You lay, you know, you have your, your dates in one place at the top of your resume and then all of a sudden you change format uh, or you start using a different font or, you know, any of those kind of things. So all of that spelling, grammar, punctuation, that's a huge one for me. So important and too important for you to leave it to yourself. Um, it especially, you know, there's just too much at stake. The next one is lack of required education and or training. So this one is different from the first one we talked about in that this is kind of formal education, formal training uh, for the job. So, so it could be that you have it on the resume and you just haven't put it on there properly or you don't have that education um, or that specific training. So if it's something that you could get quickly, then I would say go for it or at least be in the process. So for example, one that I hear a lot from my clients is the PMP certification, the, the project professional project manager or pro professional, well, I don't know what the PMP stands for. Anyway, um, it's a project management certification. Project management professional, that's what it stands for. So you could be getting it and you could have that on your resume, you know, working towards PMP certification and then you would put the expected date of completion on there. Um, again, you want to look at that job description and see, okay, you know, are they requiring that master's degree or do they prefer the master's degree? If they're requiring it and you don't have one, it's probably not use, a, useful, um, a useful use of your time to apply for that job. But if they prefer a master's degree and you don't have one, but you have some other really great qualifications that kind of compensate for that, then you want to apply for that job. The next one is is inappropriate social media content and oeve this still happens right guys folks have gotten a lot more savvy about not having you know detrimental things on their social media but it's still out there but i also want to point out the reverse so not only do you not want pictures of you engaging in beer pong on a college you know campus but you also want the presence of positive social media so how does your linkedin profile represent you? How connected are you? Are you contributing? Because you can see on somebody's LinkedIn profile if they are putting articles out there, commenting on other people's articles, you know, and, and the same thing with Instagram and, and LinkedIn and, and Facebook, all of the social media. Are you putting good positive comment, comments and content out there relative to your profession, relative to your industry? Um, especially at the higher levels, people want to hire someone that they perceive is a not only a, a subject matter expert, but a thought leader in that area. And this is one of the ways that you can speak to that. The next one is resume doesn't showcase results or accomplishments. And that was a 7.5 out of 10. I've probably reviewed 10,000 resumes. That's probably a low-end estimate. And I can count on a few hands and a few feet <laughs> how many of those resumes have had substantive achievements on the resume. What most of you have is what I call a data sheet. Job duty, job duty, job duty, death by bullets. And all that does in, words of, in terms of what it tells an employer is, I had this job, I was paid to do a job, and I did it, right? I, I had these job duties that I did. There's no punch there. There's no differentiation there. The accomplishments, those bulleted accomplishments, tell the employer how well you did the job, usually by benefit of metrics. And that's what's going to separate you from your competition. So if you don't have those, those results, those accomplishments on your resume, you're really missing the boat. 
The next one is gaps in work history, and I got a 7.4 out of 10.0. And this one is very situational. The first thing I want to say about this is that if you are having a gap in work history right at this moment with the, the pandemic and the quarantine, you get a pass. Nobody's going to really be concerned about why you're unemployed. They may ask a question about it, but they're not going to really be searching for, you know, did you get fired? Are you a, an underperformer? Any of those kind of things, because the assumption is you're one of the, you know, however many millions of people have been laid off recently. The main thing about gaps in work history in terms of how significant they will be to your candidacy is, number one, have they happened frequently? Is there a pattern of having gaps in, in work history? And then secondly, when did that gap occur, right? So again, 2020, don't worry about it. But if you if you had a gap back in 2018 or 2019, they might be more concerned about that. One of the tools that I will use with my clients on their resume when there is a gap is we might take the months of employment off. And so let's say that you... Uh, lost your job in October of 2018 and you started your next job in April of 2019. Well, that's a six-month gap in employment. But if we just put the years, for all they know, it could be December of 2018 and then you started the new job in January of 2019. You're going to have to put those specific dates on an application, but you are under no obligation to include information on your resume that is not favorable to you as long as what you do put on your resume is 100% accurate. So look at that. And, and another thing that I want to say about the gaps in work history is I, I tell my clients who have had a gap, just be careful that you don't do it again, because right now it is anomalous data. If you do it again, it becomes a pattern of behavior. So again, taking COVID out of the equation, if we're talking back in 2018 and we had somebody who you know, had a six-month gap, we wouldn't want the next job then to have a gap between that job and the next job. We want to, you know, we want to have uh, some consistency there so that they don't see a pattern. The next one is lack of industry experience. And this one is really interesting in that there are some jobs, I'm, I'm going to use sales as an example, Oftentimes in sales, they are looking for someone that has experience in that industry. So if you've been selling manufacturing uh, parts or you've been selling automotive um, parts or you've been selling tech um, equipment, they kind of want somebody who's been in that vertical. In other areas, um, you know, human resources is often kind of human resources and there's there's a lot of movement between industries and human resources. So it does depend on what industry you've been in. But for some of you, lack of industry experience can be a detriment. So what do we do about it? One of the things that I will often do with my clients is if they have an industry experience that goes back several years, let's say 20 plus years, we will put it on their resume and call it early career experience. We don't attach dates to it because we don't want to date them and make them appear old or older, but we do want the benefit of that industry, that company name on the resume, maybe that job title. So we want to be selective about that older information, but that may be appropriate. 
So, you know, if they, this one kind of gets back to what I've said about a couple of the other ones. If they have that industry experience as being one of the top qualifications, then that may not be the job for you. But if there is something that you can say on your resume about older experience, or maybe you worked in IT, you worked in a tech field, but you were a consultant and you worked with a lot of companies in that industry. So you have had that industry experience. You just want to make sure that it is explicit on the resume. The next one is lack of tenure in the current or previous position. So as opposed to a job gap, a, a gap in employment, this is not having a job for very long. And here's the problem with this. Again, if you do it once, it's anomalous data. If you do it more than once, it becomes a pattern of behavior that you're a job hopper and no employer wants to hire a job hopper. So you want to be careful about that. A couple of things that you can do about lack of tenure. I First of all, <laughs> if you can, stay there at least a year or two because not only will that look better on your resume, you will have an opportunity to have some substantive achievements in that length of time. If you've only been there a few months, you probably won't. Second of all, again, going back to that idea that you don't have to include anything on your resume that doesn't doesn't benefit you, that doesn't serve you. There have been many occasions with my clients where we've taken a job off their resume. We have to put it on the job application if they have them fill out one. But as far as the resume, there's this little blip. They got there and like from day one, they realized they'd made a huge mistake or something happened. I've had a few clients where they got there and like day one, um, things weren't as promised. And so they were on their way out kind of from day one. We don't have to put that on the resume if we don't want to. So just be aware that that lack of tenure in positions does start to catch up with you if there is that pattern of that. So really think about that. I think you think about it in terms of leaving a job too quickly, but also think about it in terms of, do I want to take this job? Am I willing to commit two to three years to this position? If I'm going to be looking for another job from day one, I might not want to take this job because now I'm going to have a job hopping situation. All right, the next one is titles don't accurately reflect positions and or responsibilities, and that got a 7.0. So here's the deal with this one. I am forever massaging my clients' job titles on their resume, and here's why. They work in a company where the job titles don't make sense outside of the company and or the level of the job is not reflective of the responsibility level that they were given. They're either the title, usually it's the title is much lower than the job responsibility. So we get put our heads together to figure out, A, what can we legitimately call their job that will make sense to anybody outside of that company, right? So my ACID test is they call the company, you know, an employer's looking to hire you. They call the company. They say, did so-and-so work there? They say, yes. They say, did they have this job title? And they're like, yeah, that's about right, right? So if you have a wonky job title, you, you have the right to massage that as long as you are doing it in good faith and you're not misrepresenting yourself. And then in terms of the responsibilities uh, kind of level, I've had, I've done things like reporting directly to, sometimes that's helped to help the person, the reader to understand how high level the job was, or we'll talk about who their direct reports are, or we'll take the job title away. I've done that sometimes when somebody kind of wants to downshift a little bit later in their career, they don't want to be a VP anymore. So we take that off and we just say head of human resources kind of thing. And that's perfectly okay. 
So feel free to do that, again, as long as you're doing it in good faith. The next one is a poorly defined value proposition, and that's a 6.2. So what we're talking about here is your brand on your resume. You haven't clarified, you haven't defined for the reader what you bring to the table that is different from every other candidate. I do very deep work on branding with my clients, and it is to get at what are those brand differentiators? How are you uniquely qualified for the position? What do you bring to the table that no one else brings? And this is the part I think of all of the resume that is the hardest for you to do on your own because it's very hard for you to look at yourself objectively and pull those things out without someone like a career coach, a master resume writer who is helping you with that process. The next one is a generic resume and cover letter. Now, here's the thing I want to say about this. And that got a 6.0, by the way. I don't want you spending hours writing resumes for every job you apply to because then what happens is you're creating completely different resumes and the potential for misspelled words, bad grammar, punctuation issues, inconsistencies it is exponentially increased. I tell my clients I want them to spend 15 minutes per job application in customizing their resume and customizing their cover letter so that they are speaking to that specific job. So in terms of the resume, they're looking at those keywords in the job description, making sure that those are present in the resume. In terms of the cover letter, they are addressing why they want to work for that company specifically, why that position is of specific interest to them. So 15 minutes is going to do you a world of good, but please don't send out the generic documents. And then finally, Failure to include a cover letter was a 3.9 out of, of 10. And I think this one's interesting. Even though it's the bottom one, it did show up. I get a lot of questions from clients. Does, does, does anybody care about cover letters anymore? And my answer is always yes. Because here's the thing. At worst, the cover letter is a neutral. Like it just, it doesn't show up on their radar screen. They don't even look at it. Nobody's going to like see the <laughs> cover letter and go, oh no, we were going to hire them until we saw they brought a cover letter into the, the mix. No. So it could help you and it won't hurt you if, and I actually did a podcast, I don't remember what number it was, but I did a podcast about cover letter, yes or no. And the exceptions to the rule, one of them is if it's a poorly written cover letter or if it's a cover letter that hasn't been customized, then it may do you more harm than good, but it can be beneficial. And one of the ways that it can be beneficial is it allows you to reinforce the brand that was established in the resume and kind of uh, reconstitute your brand attributes. What I mean by that is, let's just say that you're in sales and one of your your brand attributes is the you know the the numbers how you've um, over it you know you've exceeded your sales goals um, consistently uh, by some amazing number. Well. We're going to have that in the resume, but then in the in the cover letter, I might say, you know, one of the three paragraphs in the middle of the cover letter might be, you know, exceeding sales goals. And then I would say, you know, when I worked at ABC Company, I overachieved by 116%. Um, and then I might talk a little bit about how I did that. And then I would say when I was at XYZ Company, I – so I'm going to pull some things from some different jobs – and bring them into that paragraph, you know, that are similar, fit that similar topic. So I love the cover letter. I love, you, that is your place to talk about why you want to work at that company, because you can't do that in the resume, not directly. So I love the cover letter. And 
what you're typically going to do is you're going to upload the I, I provide my clients with an applicant tracking system resume so they have an ATS resume that has all the formatting removed and everything's in the right place so they can just cut and paste that into the applicant tracking system then they can attach a PDF of their pretty fully formatted resume and the cover letter so you always are going to have that opportunity to attach a cover letter in an applicant tracking system and I highly recommend it all right, so those are the things. Now let's talk about kind of the messages that I that I saw that I kind of teased out of this. Number one is it seems like really unqualified or kind of minimally qualified candidates are applying to positions because the applicant tracking system and the job boards have made it so easy to do so. So, right, so dude, 2 o'clock in the morning, and he's in his jammies, and he can't sleep, so he finds this job he's not qualified for, he doesn't have the education or the experience, but he applies. Now, you may think that that makes you look better if you're a qualified candidate, but it can actually have the opposite effect. Because it kind of clogs up the system, right, so you know, you can get lost in the mix, or the bigger concern for me is if employers keep getting so much nonsense, noise, white noise applications, they may move away from job boards to other recruiting methods, or they will at least minimize the emphasis that they're putting on job boards because they're getting so many unqualified candidates. Another message that I think I pulled out of this is that you can be perfectly qualified, have all the educational and experience qualifications required for the job, but not get called in for an interview because your marketing materials did not reflect what you knew how to do. It maybe it was, you know, riddled with misspelled words and poor grammar. So you haven't made a good impression on paper. I always say the, the purpose of the resume is to get the interview. I've yet to hear of a candidate who's gotten called. I'm sure it's happened, but I haven't experienced where they've gotten called because their resume was so fabulous. The company's like, well, we don't need to interview you. Can you start on Monday? But the resume will get your foot in the door for the interview. So you can also be the perfect candidate and they Google you and they don't like what they see there. Uh, again, absence of negative, presence of positive. You can be a great candidate, except they start seeing how you have job hopped or you've had big gaps in employment, and now there's a red flag around you, right? And they, they're in this applicant pool right now, there are so many great candidates that they don't really have to pick anybody who has a red flag at all. In summary, guys, these are all things that you can have a couple of responses to. You can make the necessary changes so that you, that problem, that shortcoming that is so frequently the case with candidates will not be the case with you. Or you can acknowledge that this is, this appears to be an, an unavoidable conflict. I am missing this thing or I have this thing that they don't want me to have. There's just there's too big of a gap here between what they're looking for and what I bring to the plate. And in this job market, it doesn't make sense for me to devote the X amount of minutes or hours that it might take me to apply for that job because I'm a really not a great candidate. I'd rather divert that time and energy into another job that I am fully qualified for and feel really much better about my chances for. So I hope this has been helpful. Again, Check me out if you want to uh, schedule a call. Don't forget to find me on the socials, uh, especially on LinkedIn. A lot of you are connecting with me there. Also, a lot of you are connecting with me on Instagram. 
And uh, I'll see you next week, guys. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.